Hey everyone, it's Greg, the Ski Physical Therapist, back with another recording of the Legacy Ski Podcast. On today's episode, I have Dr. Kevin Stone, who is an orthopedic surgeon practicing out of San Francisco, California. He has been a lifetime skier and also has experience working as a physician with the U.S. Women's Ski Team. On this episode, he talks about everything that you need to set yourself up for a lifetime of skiing and what to do when injury strikes and you're unable to ski. From talking about the latest and greatest advancements and research in orthopedics to sharing principles from his book, Play Forever, How to Recover from Injury and Thrive. This is a podcast episode you're not going to want to miss. Now let's hear what he has to say. So I'm an orthopedic surgeon here in San Francisco at the Stone Clinic and run a public nonprofit research foundation as well called the Stone Research Foundation. Uh, And what we do is we treat uh, knee, shoulder, and ankle injuries for athletes of all ages, patients who are very young, and then also patients who are older with arthritis, who are trying to keep skiing. And hopefully our goal is to keep them skiing until the day they drop, or at least at age 100, enjoying it. Um, so it's our divide my life here between clinical practice and not-for-profit research. That is phenomenal. So um, are you guys located in the city? Or are you outside of the city in San Francisco? Yeah, we're right here in the marina, so I can uh, see the water and tell what's going on, because when it's not ski season, I'm out on the water windsurfing or water skiing or enjoying it. That is awesome. And I'm assuming that you are a skier yourself, given um, your background, working with part of the ski team. Um, but yeah, can you go into like what does skiing look like in your life today? <laughs> well, first of all, I grew up in Rhode Island, so we would always go up to New England and ski. Uh, so we, we only understood ice. And it wasn't until I was in college that I came out to Alta to ski and then I was ruined forever. Now living in California, uh, it was easier to go back to Alta often than to go up to Tahoe in terms of timing and uh, ease of getting there, especially back in the good old days before 9-11 when you could uh, go to the airport and pull the old, what we used to call the OJ, where you'd run through the airport and jump on the plane at the last minute and go off for a ski weekend anywhere. These days, it's uh, picking our trips a little more carefully. Um, I still participate in the Director's Invitational Ski Classic, which this year is in Vail, and uh, still get in as many weeks as I can, heading up to Park City this week. Oh, that's phenomenal. I've heard uh, this week they just got a lot of snow, so it should be starting to turn into winter up there. Should be good. Do you have a favorite place that you like to go ski or that you've been skiing? It's still Alta. The, the snow is just incredible. The steeps are incredible. It's just uh, what we've now grown up over the last 30 years is almost our home mountain. Oh, that is so cool. So over the many years that you've uh, had the opportunity to ski, um, have you ever personally had any injuries that have ever impacted your ability to ski? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> uh, if anyone really truly understood how dangerous skiing was, they'd probably never do it. But we all do it because we love it. Um, but I started out my knee injury career and my ski injury career, but first started out injuring it playing soccer and tearing my knee joint meniscus, which many of your listeners have done as well. And unfortunately, the orthopedic surgeon who I admired took the meniscus out. And that starts people down this pathway of arthritis. In much of my practice today, I'm putting meniscus back in people's knees so they can continue to ski. The typical story is they lost it you know, playing high school, college, or, or football, uh, anywhere in any of the sports where we injure our knee, a surgeon goes in, takes out part or all of it, then 10 or 20 years later, they've got significant knee arthritis. So much of my career got kicked off doing that. 
my skiing injuries ended up uh, skiing with my mentor in Vail at a time and tearing my ACL. And then later on, as I was a doc for a ski team carrying a ski radio on my chest, which was a mistake, and falling when when uh, shape skis first came out, catching the first edge, uh, not understanding how great they were, falling on my chest and driving that radio right through my clavicle and breaking my clavicle. So uh, I've unfortunately known the pain of being lying in the snow and wishing that you hadn't made that mistake. And uh, I counsel many of my patients today and many of your listeners as well that um, you can diminish your rate of ski injuries by really paying attention. So many of the errors, injuries that we see are mental errors. People always sort of say, you know, I knew I was going a little too fast or I knew I shouldn't have done that. Or I was just thinking about my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, or I was looking at my phone even worse. Um, and I just knew I, I knew before I made that mistake. And so if you can get rid of the distractions and focus on what you're doing and really be inside yourself and inside the wonderful sport, you'll diminish your injury rate. Oh, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of the folks that I uh, work with or that I've interviewed when I ask them, it's like, well, do you wish you would have done anything differently? And it's like, oh, yeah, I totally could have avoided that injury had I done this, this or this. So you're spot on with that one. Right. Um, so over over the time and with your experience, you've had an opportunity to also work with the U.S. ski team. Is that right? Yeah. So I spent 12 years traveling as a doc for U.S. Alpine women. And then after that, covered a lot of the different ski tour events. Uh, Johnny Mosley's events, King of the Mountain events, Director's Invitational Ski Classic, Pro Ski Tour as well. So I've been uh, standing on the side of ski race hills for a long time and uh, trying to support the athletes. That is awesome. Um, has that ever at all influenced kind of the way you've done clinical practice at all? Sure. We learn a lot from our patients who cheat. So early on, we we thought that we had to keep people off the snow after an ACL injury or after a meniscus injury for a lot longer than our patients were willing to stay, especially our ski racers. So when I saw our racers back on the hill practicing uh, skiing at two and three months after we repaired their ACLs, I, I came to realize that the body has tremendous potential to heal if given the right opportunity, if the tissues are repaired properly, if they're augmented with growth factors and healing responses, and a whole host of surgical techniques that we helped invent and that we perfected to really get people back to their sport. So, you know, when you're around pro athletes, you learn an awful lot about how hard you can push yourself and how hard you really should push yourself and how much of a difference it makes when you're fit versus not being fit. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's some studies out there that are showing that you shouldn't return to sport prior to nine months after ACL injury. And a lot of those studies that I've read at least look at more of the field athletes, so soccer, basketball, um, maybe football. Um, and I know a lot of people kind of take that and they apply it to the same principle of skiing. But like you're saying, some people get back or I know this is at the professional level, but getting back to not skiing at their full level, but just getting back to snow, maybe after like four or five months after they've had reconstruction. And I was just curious, like, do you have any guidelines or recommendations when someone is trying to maybe get back sooner? Or how do you know, or how would you clear someone when it's appropriate for that? So a number of things have changed. First of all, we clear people by their ability to pass a sport test and fitness test here in our clinics, their agility and fitness and power and 
ability to control their leg. That's really a, a more useful guide for how soon are you ready to take on different sports with different amounts of stress. Number one. Number two, we're in what I call the anabolic era of sports medicine, where we don't just repair tissues anymore, but we augment the healing response with growth factors and platelets and a host of other therapies now. So we think that we can accelerate the healing. We also think that return to sport helps accelerate healing. While yes, there's always the risk of a new injury, but by exercising, you do wonderful things. Number one, you get all the good testosterone, adrenaline, pheromones, all the things flowing that you need for healing. You build your musculature, you build your physical ability and your balance and proprioception and coordination. And so we're quite aggressive about helping people get back to their sport as early as possible. And while yes, there is a re-injury rate, I think the benefits are so much higher. Yeah, so you mentioned um, some of these uh, supplemental uh, factors that can help with the healing time. Can you go into that? Because I know a lot of surgeons out there aren't recommending those things or they're just not available to the public. But say someone wants to have some of those things to accelerate their healing or give themselves the best chance, what would um, what would someone like that look for um, as part of the healing process? So um, clarify your question a little bit for me. So the go ahead. Yeah. So say someone has like an ACL tear. Um, and they're looking to maximize the recovery. Obviously, that comes with exercise and their nutrition and like how they're specifically recovering. But are there like growth factors that you can put inside the knee that help accelerate the healing or help maybe the graft um, uh, have its best chance of, of taking place and seeding inside the bone? So absolutely, yes, is the answer. <laughs> um, so first of all, how tissues are repaired matters quite a bit. So we have become biased about using donor tissues rather than taking the patient's own tissues. And our results have been that there's really no difference except for we save the patient the harm of harvesting their own quadriceps tendon or patellar tendon or hamstrings. So first of all, it matters which tissues are used. Second of all, it matters how the tissues are placed accuracy and placement determines a lot of whether or not there's going to be a new subsequent injury or stretching out of the repaired grafts. And third of all, augmenting the grafts with platelets and uh, augmenting the grafts with bone marrow, augmenting the grafts with what will be in the future birth tissues. We've done a number of studies on the potency of those tissues to help healing. And really, we believe can accelerate the healing response and accelerate the rate of remodeling of those tissues. And then lastly, applying exercise in a judicious way so that you stress the tissues in a way that stimulates healing rather than protecting them too much by non-weight bearing or braces or crutches. And so we're, again, quite in the camp of stimulating these healing responses to accelerate healing. That's awesome. And I think that's so cool to hear that there is like more out there than just going to the standard physical therapy, although that is the gold standard after surgery. Um, but if you uh, have the means for it to augment the healing process, I think anything that you can do to give yourself the best advantage um, is the best thing you can do to set yourself up for success. So along right. the lines of like setting yourself up for success, um, in terms of like prepping for the ski season, what do you personally do or what would you recommend um, from the lens of an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah, so 
it really depends on your year-round training approach. So if you're playing sports year-round, if you're on the bike, if you're running, if you're out lifting, if you're out hiking, if you're doing the things that you love to do, then you're probably in the right mode for returning to skiing. If you've really been taking the off-season off, then it matters a lot if you kind of assess where are you in terms of flexibility, in terms of your ability to load one joint or another, your ability to do a squat, your ability to load an edge because you're going to be on a ski edge. And so it's worth it to go line up a trainer or a great physical therapist and do a fitness assessment and, and really kind of take an honest look at where are you and are you ready for skiing? And some people are clearly able to ski themselves into shape and other people would benefit so much by doing a guided rehab program or fitness program pre-ski season. So now the snow's flying and uh, it's time to get on the snow. You know, judge, get, assess yourself, see if you can get into somebody to help you do an assessment. And then if you're really not there, try skiing yourself into shape, which means that just lower your expectations, get on the easier hills, take your time, enjoy the experience and judge where are you, you know, midday in the afternoon, are you beat? And if you are, get off the snow and go on down to the gym. And if you're not, if you're feeling great, just ski yourself back into shape. And that's a totally reasonable way to approach it. I love that. I love that. It's very methodical and very logical too. And I would recommend the same thing. Um, another question, a lot of listeners and people that um, ask me questions on Wednesday are wondering um, about bracing, uh, specifically like bracing to prevent injury. Number one, would you recommend that? And then number two, um, say someone is coming off of surgery. Are there particular knee braces that you like um, and would recommend to them? So we pretty much have abandoned braces, not completely, but mostly. And the reason is that the braces did not ever prove to provide significant protection against a new injury. Now, if you've had an ACL surgery and your knee is not particularly stable or you notice that it's not stable, then a brace can give you proprioceptive feedback, just telling your brain where your knee is in space, can snug it up a bit, can tighten up that joint, limit your motion a little bit. And then in that case, it probably helps you ski with more confidence and may decrease your injury rate, but there's not great data to say that it does. Even post-ACLs now, we don't use braces anymore. We really limit the use of them as they inhibit healing and inhibit range of motion. Uh, after an isolated MCL or medial collateral ligament, we will use a brace to limit the motion and help the healing, though we would augment that healing with growth factors now. So in general, we're trying to move people away from braces. That's great. That's great and super helpful. Arguably, I would say one of the biggest limiting factors for people, especially as we age, that prevents us from skiing is um, osteoarthritis of the knee. And I just wanted to know what are your thoughts on um, what we can do to prevent osteoarthritis? And then if we have it um, before going to surgery, are there any things that we can do to remedy that? So a big part of my research career is around that exact topic. People can look at the research studies we're doing at stoneresearch.org and you can look at the treatments we're doing on surgical videos, instructional videos at stoneclinic.com. But specifically, the first thing you should remember is that the moment you injure a tissue or injure your knee particularly, do a careful physical exam, history, x-ray and MRI and determine exactly what is injured. And if critical tissues are torn, the earlier you repair them, 
the less likely you are to develop arthritis. If tissues need to be removed, such as the meniscus is too beaten up to repair, then it's better to replace it right away rather than let the joint go on and develop arthritis. We're fans of using lubrication plus growth factor injections now as well to help delay or to help treat the arthritic symptoms. So I have many patients who come in where they're severely arthritic, knee, ankle, shoulder, and say, hey doc, that injection of lubrication and growth factors you gave me last year got me all the way through the ski season. I'm not gonna let you fix my joint until those injections don't work anymore. And that's a perfectly reasonable way to get yourself through and delay the time in which definitive care needs to be done. Now, for those joints that are truly bone on bone, we have been replacing parts of them, meaning doing partial joint replacements uh, frequently, and that saves the person from having a full knee replacement. And even when we need to do a full knee replacement, now due to robotics, we're able to skip using cement, place these implants in that the bone can grow into, we, we rarely have to touch the kneecap anymore, except in isolated cases. And so it permits people to get back to full sports. We had a patient run across the United States and his bilateral partial knee replacements this past year. And we have lots of patients who've returned to skiing and hiking and running as well on their partial and total knee replacements. So the world has changed quite a bit from telling people, no, you can't return to sports to yes, in fact, it's a good idea for you to, as long as the surgery was done just very, very accurately. Now, I know there's some fear around getting a knee replacement, especially in the uh, younger adult, um, for the fear of maybe the knee's going to wear out and they're going to have to go back and have the replacement again. Are there any recommended guidelines that you have specifically when going back to skiing for someone that does have a knee replacement? Sure. So there are two types of uh, knee replacements in our world here. There are the biologic knee replacements where I replace the meniscus, graft the articular cartilage and rebuild the ligaments. We call that a bio knee. And then there's the metal and plastic knee replacements where we use robotic control. We build a 3D model of their knee, place the implants on that 3D model before we ever touch the patient. And then it's an outpatient surgery that takes an hour or two, can resurface the joint without removing a lot of the bone and then permit those people to get back to the sports they wanna do. And again, those implants are placed without using cement. So if you have that type of knee replacement, then the earlier you start your exercise, the better. So we have patients in the clinic one day after surgery, full weight bearing, starting exercises immediately and progress the impact on those exercises. By six weeks, the body has grown into the implants. And so after that time, we can really push the patient quite a bit harder in a lot more weightlifting and impact type exercises. It takes most people four to six months after a full knee replacement to come back to full sports, but most people can do it if they're driven and, and want to do it. I have a great story about that. A, a gentleman, he actually did both at the same time and I got him ready to get back to sport in four months time. And unfortunately that's right when the start of COVID happened and all the ski shut down. So it was kind of all for nothing, but now he's back to it and skiing at his fullest. And he's just like hooting and hollering like he was when he was back in his 30s. So it's just really mm -hmm. phenomenal to see that the the mindset has shifted from no skiing if you have a total knee replacement to like, hey, you are getting this so that way you can be enabled to do the activities that you like to do before. That's exactly right. So cool. 
So cool. Um, you mentioned that you do this thing called a meniscus replacement. And I know it's not super common, but for someone that is looking for that, and maybe they don't want to get the total knee replacement, or they're looking for that, how would you know if you're a candidate to have a meniscal replacement? So, our, you know, you always need to know the bias of your surgeon. So I'm very biased about these meniscus replacements, having lost my own meniscus, you know, as a college athlete. So our view is the moment it's torn, it should be repaired. And if it's not repairable, then it should be replaced. Because pretty clearly losing segments of the meniscus leads to early arthritis. It leads to forced concentration on the tibia. And that tends to degenerate the knee at a very high rate. So our bias is if you've lost your meniscus and you're having pain there, you should replace that meniscus. If you're a young person and lose the meniscus, it should be replaced immediately. So that's very common in our practice here in San Francisco. And we have a lot of older patients as well who come in and say, hey, doc, isn't there just a shock absorber you can put back in my knee? I'm not ready for a partial or total knee replacement. And we do that quite a bit for people too. We're going to publish our data this year on meniscus replacement in patients over 50. And it turns out that in half the patients, it delayed their time. And these are all patients who were told to have a knee replacement or a partial replacement. And in those patients, half of them delayed their partial replacement by nine years, and the other half have never had it, never had to go on to it. This is up to a 25-year follow-up study. So we believe that meniscus replacement can tremendously help a lot of people who are missing that meniscus and developing pain or arthritis. Well, that is phenomenal data that you guys are producing, and it can really save people from potentially completely avoiding uh, total knee entirely, which is so, so cool. I have a few uh, follow-up questions in sure. regard to the meniscus replacement. So you said young versus old. Now that for skiers, that can be very subjective because maybe I'm young, but I identify as old, or maybe I'm old, but I identify as young. Is there a general age range that you use to classify people uh, versus young versus old? Well, certainly kids, when they lose their meniscus, it's devastating to the knee joint. And basically after that, we don't classify anybody as old because I put meniscus back in 70-year-olds who wanted to run centuries and went on to do that. So we have an age range pretty much for kids under 20 and for uh, for everybody else, 20 to their mid-70s, where we'll do meniscus replacement and biologic therapies for their joints. Um, so it's it's a frame of mind. We want you gotcha. to, our goal is to keep you playing forever. Yeah, gotcha. And then when you say a loss of the meniscus, what do you mean by that? Because you can have like a partial tear where you would potentially go and repair that. But are you talking about something where it's like you would need a meniscectomy to take that meniscus out and it's almost better to replace the meniscus than it would be to do the meniscectomy when you're referring to that? Exactly. Well said. It turns out that removing small amounts of the meniscus at the posterior part of it, the back part of the meniscus, leads to a dramatic increase in force concentration in the joint. So we're learning pretty early on here that uh, depending on where the meniscus loss is determines the rate of degeneration inside the knee joint. So you just need to know the bias of your surgeon. If they're biased towards trying to repair those, that's great. If, uh, if they have to remove a significant amount, they should really have the conversation with you about, is it better to just go ahead and replace it now or wait? Well, that's really cool research and something that I personally haven't heard much about, but um, it seems like it's on the rise, especially with a lot of that research that's coming out um, in the future. And um, say someone doesn't have that type of service available in their geographic location. Is this something where um, you've had people fly into San Francisco and have that operation done at your uh, facility? 
Yeah, so half of our practice here at the Stone Clinic in San Francisco is from all over the world. So half are local and half are outside the Bay Area and from everywhere else. We we do a complimentary outside consult. If somebody goes to stoneclinic.com slash consult, uh, if they send us their x-ray and MRI, they can upload it there on the site. I can get on the phone with them and tell them if they're likely to be a candidate or not. It's always best to come and let me examine their knee and uh, understand really what's going on. And we're welcome to see people from all over the world and are pleased to do so. We have a soft spot in our heart for skiers, of course, uh, but we treat everyone. Oh, that's phenomenal. And thanks for that resource. I'm sure um, I'll be able to recommend that to a lot of my clientele. And hopefully the people listening in the future, they have that resource available as well. Um, now, I want to zoom out and kind of talk about like your overall mission. You're doing some really cool things in the like preventative care world and just helping the like aging adult just continue to thrive. And I want to talk about your book that you wrote called Play Forever, How to Recovery from Injury and Thrive. Can you talk about um, like what was the inspiration behind writing this and, and what are you hoping to get out of um, that book? Sure. So a big part of our mission is to help people see their injury as an excuse or an opportunity to become fitter, faster and stronger than they've been in years. You know, you weren't thinking about certain parts of you until you got injured. And now you're going to work with a team of, of professionals to help you come back. So you might as well use that opportunity to treat yourself like a professional athlete and optimize your nutrition, optimize your flexibility, optimize your fitness program, get the best care you possibly can, and really reset your thinking about your body and your health. And so I wrote that book, Play Forever, which is on Amazon, to guide people through the range of things that they can do, range of injuries they can prevent, range of uh, rehab type things they can do, and other thinking as well about how to live a fit, happy life, and hopefully... Uh, play forever or drop dead age 100 playing the sport you love. I love that. I love that. Is there anything specifically maybe a skier can take away from your book that they can apply um, in terms of skiing? Sure. A few things. Number one, warm up in the morning. So jump in the hot tub in the morning or the hot shower and do your stretch exercises first before you go out. It makes a big difference. The, the warmer you are, the looser you are, the better you are. But also use that time to center down. Get rid of all the other distractions of life. Go out and ski for the joy of skiing. And then after skiing, great opportunity to do your stretch program and see if you can keep yourself from getting too stiff. We're big fans of hot tubs and pools and stretching and, and combining that program with your skiing. Uh, it's, you know, it's such a wonderful sport and it's a wonderful sport to do and stay fit and healthy. But it's also a great sport to let the air run in one ear and out the other and clear out all the cobwebs. Oh, I absolutely love like the physical aspects, but even more the mental aspects of skiing. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Stone, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Legacy Ski Podcast. Before we end, I just want to give you a chance if you have any uh, closing remarks just to just to, yeah, give you the open mic. Sure. So listen, we're in a wonderful era in orthopedics. We can fix things. You know, we, we really spend a lot of time trying to help people not get injured. But if they get injured, you know, take it seriously and think about all the novel therapies that are out there today to keep you biologic if possible. But if you're so destroyed that you need artificial components, use the latest, greatest ones and, and get back to doing the sports you love. Just use that injury, as I say, as an opportunity to improve. And I think that'll help you uh, go through life and not have too much downtime. Uh, 
happy we're here to help you anytime we can as our other orthopedic surgeons around the world and fortunately with the web we can provide good information and logical information for people to look at we i write a blog each week that people might find informative at stoneclinic.com blog writing about all these issues and trying to keep people informed of the latest information so come support our work in the research foundation it's public nonprofit, and it's at stoneresearch.org and uh, try to stay fit and healthy this year and enjoy the season Amazing. Thanks so much, Dr. Kevin Stone, for coming on. I'll post all of the links that we talked about at the Stone Clinic down below and some resources to get a hold of Dr. Kevin Stone's team. And in addition, if you're interested in purchasing the book that Dr. Stone wrote, I'll post the link for that. Otherwise, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Legacy Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast with your ski community and follow it so you don't miss another episode. Also, if you have a cool story and would like to be featured on the podcast, please reach out to the team. Lastly, if you're interested in working with me, you can book a strategy call at www.meettheskipt.com where I'll help you figure out the next best steps to keep you moving towards your journey of a lifetime of skiing.